From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. $66 a barrel. It's time to start refilling the SPR, no? So the push and pull on the idea of tighter banking regulations has intensified quite a bit here in the last 24 hours on Capitol Hill. Senator Elizabeth Warren and a group of Democrats, including Congresswoman Katie Porter, unveiling a bill to restore the elements of Dodd-Frank that were removed during the Trump administration. The bank failures our nation experienced this weekend were entirely avoidable if Congress and the Fed had done their jobs and kept strong oversight of big banks in place. And now we must act quickly to prevent the next crisis by repealing the dangerous Trump-era provisions that made banks weaker. Remembering that we've heard from Republicans over the last three days and even some Democrats on this broadcast, including a man named Barney Frank. Remember, he talked to Bloomberg Radio on Monday and we brought you some of those comments. They said keeping the original Dodd-Frank law intact would not likely have prevented the failures of SVB and Signature Bank. You add another layer today, and that is Credit Suisse, with the headline on the terminal The Treasury Department now actively reviewing the U.S. financial sector's exposure to Credit Suisse, according to people familiar with the matter, with the smell of contagion in the air again today. This is where we begin with Congressman Brendan Boyle, the Democrat from Pennsylvania, ranking member on the House Budget Committee, and he's back with us now. Congressman, we do appreciate your time today. Are you watching this news today with Credit Suisse? Is it is it increasing your concerns about banking? Uh well, it's great to be with you. Uh, I've been following it since uh, early this morning and obviously the tumult first in the European markets and then the futures. And then finally, you know, once the markets uh, we opened at 930, yeah. uh, it, it is it is further worrying. You know, that piece of legislation that I was listening to Senator Warren uh, in the clip played mm-hmm. earlier, I voted against that bill five years ago to loosen um, standards to loosen the Dodd-Frank regulations for precisely this reason. And I would point out that w- with all due respect to what apparently former Congressman Barney Frank may have said, yeah, actually, SBB at around $200 billion would have faced stress tests had that legislation not been repealed five years ago. So you One think of those it would have specific- prevented the, the failure? I, I do. I, yeah. So I, I'm in complete I'm completely contradicting huh. what he said. And specifically, yep. one of the stress tests uh, was to analyze a scenario in which you had a steep rise in Fed rates in a short period of time. It is precisely that scenario that has brought about the collapse of SVB. That stress test would have caught it had it been in place. 
Some of the analysis has pointed out that this bill does not address interest rate risk in, in the held to maturity portfolio. You're saying it does, Congressman, or, or regulators would have found that while exploring other elements of the stress test? Correct. They would have found it because SVB um, at about $200 billion would have come under those sort of stress tests because the original Dodd-Frank regulation was any bank $50 billion or more. The bill that passed five years ago lifted it from $50 billion to $250 billion. Therefore, SVB didn't have to uh, undergo the same sort of scrutiny. There were, I believe, 17 Democrats in the Senate, more than 30 in the House, that voted for those changes. Do you think the Warren bill has a chance? Well, let's uh, let's not uh, ignore the other part of that is that it was a Republican-controlled House, Republican-controlled Senate, and, yeah. and a Republican in the White House who brought about the bill, and it was passed overwhelmingly with, with Republican votes. So, you know, I'm reminded, and I, I might be roughly paraphrasing here, but I'm thinking back to a quote that Ben Bernanke uh, said uh, some time ago when these regulations came about and we went through everything in 2009 and, and then the years following, he said, you know, the greatest enemy we face uh, is is forgetting that really the greatest struggle uh, sometimes is memory. And that yeah. once we go through a crisis and we put in place regulations to prevent it, as years go by and um, further events take place and 2008 seems a distant memory, people tend to forget why these regulations were put in place in the first place. And I think that's what happened in 2018. We heard today from uh, the man known as Dr. Doom, Congressman, that would be uh, economist uh, Noriel Rubini, who is very concerned about the Credit Suisse situation. Uh, and he suggests that it could be too big to bail out. Here's what he told us. Well, uh, they can be active today, even if they have a system that is uh, delegated. However, the problem is that Credit Suisse, by some standards, might be too big to fail, but also too big to be saved. It's not clear that unlike the United States, the federal system has enough resources to engineer a bailout. And uh, what they need certainly is more capital. And the question is whether they're going to get that capital or not. Otherwise, bad things can happen. Congressman, you suggest this could be uh, another Lehman Brothers. Do you see it that way? Well, I, I see why he has the nickname Dr. Uh, Dr. Gloom and Doom. easy to hear, yes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, what I, what I will say and, and kind of more comfortable commenting on is for my position now as the ranking member uh, or senior Democrat on the budget committee, um, you know, last week we had the president uh, in my district unveiling the budget proposal. We've had a counterproposal from the Republican Freedom Caucus. Um, those on the other side of the aisle threatening to use the debt ceiling as leverage. Mm-hmm. I think the events of the past several days show exactly why we do not need any drama when it comes to the debt ceiling. We do not need any drama this year when it comes to the budget and these proposed steep cuts from the other side. I've been arguing for some months now that we needed a clean increase in the debt ceiling, that we needed to um, calm this economy and calm the markets as much as possible. I was arguing that before. I think that there's far more evidence for what I'm saying now. Well, it's not lost on us that President Biden went to your district to unveil his budget and that you are central uh, to solving this issue, Congressman. It's been suggested that what we're seeing happen now might actually move up the X date and that this debt ceiling matter has to be handled even sooner than you first thought. Is that right? 
I, I well, two things. The first is after the IRS uh, gets in the April 15th tax filings, uh, which sometimes literally includes as manual opening the envelopes and paper returns and seeing what exactly the figures are. Then right around a couple weeks after that, we will have a much better idea. Treasury will have a much better idea on what the exact X date is. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's the first point. The second point is the sooner we raise the debt ceiling, uh, the better. We do not need to inject another variable uh, into this entire situation when we already have such uncertainty when it comes to various banks. We've heard from Kevin McCarthy. Of course, he doesn't want to even deal with a a clean uh, debt ceiling bill. He wants an agreement on spending cuts. Where is that now? Or are things too noisy right now for negotiations to be happening? Well, the president unveiled his budget, as you pointed out last week, uh, coming here to my district in Philadelphia. Where is Kevin's budget? Where is the, the House Republican budget? We've seen a very extreme proposal from a caucus within the House Republicans, the Freedom Caucus, mm-hmm. uh, which would call for cuts of at least 20 percent to um, all programs except for defense. Um, I, we're still waiting to see the Republican budget. It was supposed to be unveiled and even voted on this month. Now we hear we might be April. We hear it might be May. So if if he wants these things, he has to unveil a budget and a budget that can command uh, 218 votes on their side. So we're still uh, eagerly awaiting that. Sounds to me like that's no progress so far. Well, I am uh, waiting for the white smoke to appear <laughs> atop the Capitol on when exactly we will have a budget proposal. I know this other side keeps talking about what they find uh, so egregious in the Biden budget. Well, show us your plan. I'm looking over there out the window of the Bloomberg Bureau. I don't see any smoke coming out of the dome, <laughs> just to let you know right now. When you come back to town, uh, though, and, and, and this does begin in earnest, how does this banking story that we're, we're living through in real time impact the budget yeah. debate? Because I'm sure that deficits are going to be a major issue here as we look at the impact of rising interest rates. Well, I, I am hopeful that it will um, kind of act to sober some folks up uh, who, who perhaps were looking at the debt ceiling debate. You know, some have openly talked about using that as leverage to get what they want. I think that with the seriousness of, of what we might be in the early stages of going through right now, uh, I hope that this prompts them to think twice and th- think three times about whether or not uh, that would be such a good idea. I also have to say that, uh, and I've expressed this before, I've been concerned that the Fed was moving too fast, too soon, um, uh, that um, I know they have been driving on this, uh, reaching this 2% inflation goal, but we've so had so many rate hikes in such a short period of time, it can bring about unintended consequences. Here we the, are. There is not much precedent for what Jay Powell and the Fed is doing. So I, I would hope, and I respect the independence of the Fed, they're going to independently make that decision. But I can certainly voice uh, the viewpoint that I have and others share uh, that what they're doing uh, to the market right now uh, is deeply worrying. It certainly, by their own figures, will have a negative effect on employment. Um, So I hope that they are prudent in this situation and and make the appropriate decision next week and not 
keep going forward when it comes to these rate hikes. Well, after what we're seeing today, that just might happen, uh, Congressman. Yeah. Really appreciate your joining us, as always. Congressman Brendan Boyle with us here on Bloomberg Sound On, the gentleman from Pennsylvania and the Democrat, the top Democrat on the Budget Committee. As we assemble our panel, Jeannie Shanzano is here, Bloomberg Politics contributor and Democratic analyst, joined today by John Hart, Republican strategist, co-founder of C3 Solutions, is back with us. Great to have both of you here. Jeannie, after what you just heard, it's like the earth is shifting under the feet of budget writers and policymakers and regulators. Nobody knows what's going on right now. They really don't. And, and, you know, I think it's fascinating between your conversation with Sherrod Brown yesterday mm. and you're hearing it with Representative Boyle and others, Elizabeth Warren, you're seeing not just inter-party fighting, intra-party fighting, you know, a lot of blame to go around and not even, you know, as of yet, and it's still early, basic agreement on questions such as, if Dodd-Frank had been in place, would it have, you know, assisted in and, and, and you know, saved SVB and some of these other banks that have experienced this? You've got a full-throated answer there You on just that got Brennan one Boyle. answer, just disagrees completely with the with other Barney answer. Barney Frank, the guy who wrote the bill. <laughs> so, you know, we're seeing that over and over again. And those things have to be teased out before they plot ahead with regulations. John Hart, bail us out. When will the smoke clear enough for, to get, for us to get real answers to these questions? Well, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Sadly, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better, probably. You know, I think there's two caucuses in Congress. There's the, there's the Doom Caucus, but then there's the Daydream Caucus. Okay. And I'm worried that the, the Daydream Caucus, the people who are sleepwalking through these, these issues, uh, are, are going to invite much more economic pain than, than we realize. And, you know, I, the way I describe these issues is, look, there's really two theories of wealth creation in Washington – one theory holds that wealth is the measure of what people value, what they choose to, to buy. Yep. The other is modern monetary theory, or, or MMT light, if you will, which is that government can just decide what the value of something is. And, and Ken Griffin, I think, had a great comment, uh, you know, the founder of Citadel. Yes, indeed. He said that, you know, capitalism is breaking down before our eyes. Before our I think, eyes, I think, he said. I think he is, I think he is, he is on to something. And that's, does, does that mean you're using the, the word bailout, question. John? Where does... Well, I, yeah, I think it was a bailout, and I, and I think it was a mistake. I think I think they should not have done the bailout of SVB and and let the consequences be what they are, and to get it work it through the system because uh, I think we're inviting more pain down the road uh, than we would have experienced otherwise. Does this Warren Porter bill, for lack of a better name? Uh Jeannie stand a chance? I'm guessing the answer is no with the Republican House. Yeah, the, the answer is absolutely no. It's okay. going to face an uphill battle, even in the Senate, as you have Democrats on both sides of this. We've heard Joe Manchin come today or yesterday and say, you know, he may have questioned his vote, but mm-hmm. it, it doesn't stand a chance. But she is going to make as much as she can of it regardless. We'll continue this conversation also with an eye on what happened yesterday over the Black Sea, an important development in geopolitics that we'll touch on with our panel. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for the Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio.
Locked On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. The U.S. will continue flying the drones over the Black Sea and in international airspace, for that matter, in the wake of this Russian aircraft interference with one of our drones that took place yesterday sent the drone into the drink. And today, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says it's a hazardous episode that is part of a pattern of aggressive, risky and unsafe actions. And of course, we've heard stories like this before. John Kirby who speaks for the National Security Apparatus in the White House today, says this is why we talk. There's a deconfliction line between U.S. European Command and uh, the Russian Ministry of Defense when it comes to the eastern flank airspace of our NATO allies. So we have ways of communicating with the Russians directly, and, th- and that's a good thing. That's one way to try to, to, uh, to minimize the risk of miscalculation. But still, tensions are high and now higher because of what happened yesterday as we reassemble our panel with their view on things. Jeannie Shanzano, Democratic analyst and Bloomberg politics contributor, is here along with John Hart, Republican strategist, co-founder of C3 Solutions. John, I'm not sure your thought when this first uh, broke yesterday, because we, we've just for decades uh, had issues uh, with very close encounters in intercepts with Russian aircraft. This one is significant, that though, as it happened over the Black Sea. And they're dumping fuel on our drone. We ended up putting it down there. It looks like we're never going to get it back because it's deep in the water. So it's not an intelligence issue, but it is one that could be seen as escalatory. How do you look at it? Well, it's absolutely escalatory. I think, you know, what's, what's happening on the right, I think, is very significant because you've got a debate between Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and others about the future of our involvement in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I think this episode brings all those issues to the surface. Uh, Russia is a belligerent state. Uh, Putin is, is really trying to revive the Soviet empire. And I think it's incredibly naive for anybody on the right or the left to not understand the nature of Russian aggression. And freedom is at stake. It isn't just about helping Ukraine. It's about helping Poland. It's about helping our allies uh, in in Europe. And it's about helping ourselves. So I think if you want to put American values and freedom first, uh, you need to do everything you can uh, to make it plain to Putin that this is a very dangerous game he's playing. Sounds like you're not pleased to hear from Ron DeSantis uh, on Ukraine over the last No, I think it's a mistake. I I understand. I, I think, you know, there's a shadow primary happening on the right between what I call Reaganism and Trumpism. So mm. Reaganism isn't just an appeal to, to the Reagan era. It's more of a reboot of our American founding constitutional conservative principles. And I think that's really who Ron DeSantis is at his core, but he's trying to appeal to Trump voters. And DeSantis is more likely to be pulled apart as a candidate than to hold those two factions together. So I think it's a very risky, unnecessary move for him to make at this point to to come out, uh, you know, somewhat against Ukraine uh, mm-hmm. support uh, because ultimately it's not in our national security interest. And it's well, going to make it a very difficult bit. for him to navigate the, the primary. I want to be more specific about what was said. Ron DeSantis was asked, along with a number of presumptive and actual presidential candidates by Fox News. Uh, for the Tucker show to answer the Ukraine questionnaire, knowing that Tucker is not a fan of what we're doing there. Uh, Quote, while the U.S. has many vital national interests, Ron DeSantis says, becoming further entangled in a territorial dispute between Ukraine and Russia is not one of them, making reference to Joe Biden's virtual blank check. Yet we recall Ron DeSantis 
uh, back on April 17th, 2017, when he said this. I think that uh, he's been a, a, a threat for a long time. You know, Clinton tried to work with him. Bush tried to work with him. Obama tried to reset. Trump was very uh, positive about Putin. Um, and I think that reality is set in, uh, that this is not going to, to work out that way. Hmm. And you're better off dealing with Putin by being strong. I mean, you know, we've tried to deal with some of this in the Congress a couple years ago. We authorized lethal aid for Ukraine so that they Ukraine. could resist some of the Russian incursion. Uh, the Obama administration fought us on that. Uh, but I think that's the type of thing when, when Putin sees he can gain an inch, He's apt to, apt to take a mile. So, Jeannie, you fast forward six years and you're maybe running for president. Why is he changing his tune? Who is that man you were just playing, Joe that, Matthew? I, what I, was it? DeSanctus was the name yesterday. DeSanctus, DeSanctimonious. Who's counting? Um, you know, we are feeling the effects on the Republican side of Mitch McConnell's absence while he heals from his fall. Huh. He has described this neo-isolationism as dangerous and naive, and that is the view of most Republicans in the Senate. And I would guess probably a majority still in the House on the Republican side. I don't understand politically uh, Ron DeSantis coming out and doing this. He seems to be listening to sort of the Twitter noise, this very loud part of the Republican Party who are opposed to Ukraine. There are valid questions to ask about funding of Ukraine. Those are valid. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure the aid is going where we think it's going. Sure. But for him to jump out on this cliff and, you know, what's what's <laughs> what's dif difficult to understand, he went further than Donald Trump. If you listen to Trump, what does Trump say? He says, oh, Putin wouldn't have done this if I was That's there. Right. I'll bring peace to the and area. I could end it in 24 hours. And, and DeSantis jumps right over him and says, no, we're just not going to give them what they need to win. It, so yeah. it well, makes no sense. It makes yeah. no, you know, for him to do this. And the latest poll, only 9% of Republicans think that foreign policy is the most important issue going well, into 2024. that's my question, John. What do you think about that? Why why agree with Donald Trump on, on such an important issue uh, that isolates a lot of Republican voters? Well, I think he's, you know, he's trying to win the Republican primary, and I think it's, it's a miscalculation. Uh, it, it hurts his brand because when you hear those two clips, uh, or a statement out in the clip, is that he sounds like a politician. And <laughs> Republican voters want an outsider. They want somebody who's not of the swamp. And when you try to please all factions and parse your words, you alienate everybody in the process. And it's, it's particularly, it's troublesome because you, we've seen a, a pretty strong majority of support uh, from the American people for helping Ukraine, and, and they understand the connection to our freedom. But that is eroding, and Putin is betting and hoping that that support will erode fast enough to sustain his engagement. So it's – and we're, it becomes a, a, a self-defeating – uh, loop here, where if we if we predict our support's going to wane, it it does wane, and it empowers Putin. You talked and, about and the Reagan way. Yeah, yeah, it just doesn't right. Just it doesn't make any sense. Uh, and you know, the conventional wisdom of the race as it is today, yeah, is that it's going to be Trump and DeSantis. But if you look at 2007, this was Rudy Giuliani's race to lose, <laughs> and of course he he faded. You know, in 2011, it was Huckabee. South and, Carolina just wasn't there Taylor. for him, yeah. John. Um, yeah. So, Lindsey Graham, you mentioned the Reagan wing versus the Trump wing. Lindsey Graham kind of dug into that in a conversation about this Ukraine incident on Fox. Here's what he said. Well, we should hold him accountable and say that if you ever get near another uh, U.S. set flying in international waters, 
your airplane would be shot down. What would Ronald Reagan do right now? Uh -huh. He would he would start shooting Russian planes down if they were threatening <laughs> our assets. I'm not sure. Do you, I'm not sure that's actually true, Jeannie. But right. you know, if we if we sent a Russian drone uh, into the drink. They might have shot back. What are, you, what are you supposed to do? How do you prevent it from happening again? You know, I have to say, L Lindsey Graham is right to say that. Ron DeSantis, I think, has dug himself into a position where he is essentially just Donald Trump light. Why would Republican voters even go for him? He, you should be differentiating yourself on some things. He's leading on the woke issue. He's leading Donald Trump there. He should lead on this, and he should do so in a way that increases his bona fides. He, you know, he wants to sell himself as a manager. He may managed out of the hurricane, and he's managed Florida. Well, manage on national security. So he has gotten himself into a hole here. He should follow Lindsey Graham's lead. But now, how does he backtrack from what he told Tucker Carlson? Was this a woke drone, John? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think, I think I'm woke, sorry is, woke is, a, is a real problem, but no, I don't think, <laughs> I think. I think Putin represents the unwoke world. Hmm. Not to be said there. John Hart and Jeannie Shanzano with us. Uh, here on Bloomberg Sound On. John, thank you for being here in, in the insights. It's always great to have you, the co-founder of C3 Solutions. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On podcast. Catch the program. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Big day to talk budget here in Washington. If I'm counting properly here, three different panels holding hearings on Capitol Hill. There's one in particular that we've got an eye on, or at least we did, with Shalanda Young was testifying before the Senate Budget Committee. Things got pretty hot and heavy over the entitlements, and that's been a recurring theme here. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, along with Kaylee Lyons. You remember the State of the Union address. Joe Biden says mm -hmm. the, the line about that. I'm not, I've played it so many times, I won't put you through it again. But the idea of sunsetting Social Security and Medicare got boos from yep. the crowd because it was Rick Scott's pamphlet, and the, we already knew the leadership wasn't going there. Yeah, they basically said, not true, Mr. President. Well, I mean, yeah. We heard the Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, calling him a liar, liar, I believe, in that little exchange. But Senator Mitt Romney of, of Utah, not too far off of that in the hearing today when he was talking to OMB director Shalanda Young. Yeah, and of course, she brought it to him. But yeah. listen to how this went. Uh, Senator, I have heard of proposals. No, no, no. You've, you've heard of proposals from a current senator currently or, or congressman currently proposing to cut benefits to social security yes have they changed their position no no maybe, no i'm yes I, members who are current I, members. I said has anyone current i mean in the in the last several months or the last year has any anyone republican or democrat proposed social security benefits so now you're asking if people change their position maybe i, I but there are records are you record. are you aware of anyone there is a record are you aware of, of anyone excuse me are you aware of anyone 
Are you aware of anyone proposing cutting Social Security benefits? Your first question, current members have well-known policies out there to cut Social Security and Medicare. That's simply wrong. A little bit simply wrong, he says, Mm -hmm. Kaylee. Uh, They weren't done there. Why have you not (laughs) proposed in your budget any action to protect Social Security? Senator, I look forward to seeing plans. That are very, no, no. Are very question. clear. The question is, why have you not proposed it? That those, why have you that not they made will a not cut Social Security. This, president this is has always everyone's favorite part of Washington, mm-hmm. where they just talk over each other for an extended period of time. And that's sort of symbolic of where we are in government, isn't it? <laughs> Jack Fitzpatrick does this all day with the hearings like this. In fact, I'm guessing he was in the room for this one from Bloomberg Government, uh, our budget guru here on Sound On. Uh, with some specific news about programs that actually are being cut, proposed cuts in Joe Biden's budget. Jack, it's great to have you back. Why is the administration going through this exercise, though, on Social Security and Medicare, knowing that we're going to get back and forth conversations like these? Well, I mean, really, they're they're kind of staying out of the conversation. As you heard Romney, Senator Romney mention, uh, it was actually a little surprising that the administration in their budget proposal had a proposal for Medicare solvency to increase the taxes that would support Medicare on the top earners. Uh, but nothing, nothing similar to that, nothing, not really any proposal on Social Security. Um, then again, you know, at this point, both sides have said, look, we're not going to use the debt limit debate to get into that. Uh, they've gotten until about 2035 to shore up the solvency of Social Security. The earlier you do it, then the more runway you give for yourself, the better. Um, but clearly that's been taken off the table and it has, as you can tell from that exchange, kind of devolved into uh, almost a shouting match over, you know, does it count as a cut from Republicans if they say they might want to increase the age of eligibility or is yeah. that mm-hmm. savings rather than a cut? So really it, it has it's something that the administration is sort of staying out of now that they've successfully removed it from the debt limit talks. And all we're left with is, uh, you know, the the talking over each other. Well, and there's been a lot of talking around, show me the alternative. At least that's what the Biden administration has been saying to Republicans in the House specifically. Do we know what the shape of that alternative is going to look like? They want to balance the budget. Have they given suggestions of how they realistically want to do it if there are certain things that are untouchable? Yeah, they have not gotten to the details yet. When you say they want to balance the budget, you are correct. Now, (laughs) will they actually put out a budget resolution that projects to balance in the next 10 years? That would be extremely difficult, especially given the things that Republicans have said are off the table. If they're not uh, cutting Social Security or Medicare, and I suppose we'll we'll see if they put things in there that reduce expenditures, but they they, they don't consider cuts. But if they're also not con- uh, cutting defense spending or veterans affairs spending, which even conservative members on the Appropriations Committee have said that's off the table, uh, you'd you'd really have to get into probably eliminating certain departments if if it's narrowed down to the things that Republicans really don't like. Now, they're, they're going to work on a budget resolution. Um, unclear exactly when that's going to come out. Might be April. I heard uh, Congressman Brendan Boyle earlier speculating that it might take Republicans a little while. Uh, they have difficult decisions to make. But, you know, I don't think we can even necessarily take them at their word that they can come up with a plan to balance the budget fully uh, unless they sort of go back on some of those promises of things they've said are off the table. Jack's budget briefing this morning actually outlines cuts proposed uh, by the Biden administration. This is back to the Biden budget here. What a lead here, Jack. Border security, that should set off some alarms. 
NASA heliophysics projects. Am I saying it right? I had to Google <laughs> helio. Did your your editor let you keep that in the lead? That's incredible, by the way. The integrated study of the sun, its planets, and space environment as a dynamic system. Is that also how you define it, Jack? Uh, I, I believe it's the upper atmosphere, largely. Ah, uh, and Jack Fitzpatrick so moonlighting as Bill Nye <laughs> the science guy. Awesome. <laughs> I get to cover some some weird stuff, but you mentioned border security. And, yes. yeah, it, it's an interesting scenario in which, you know, Republicans are calling for very steep cuts to discretionary spending on non-defense, which includes the Department of Homeland Security. But at the same time, actually, in the hearing, the Senate budget hearing today, Roger Marshall, who pressed uh, D- Director Young on the, uh, the, you know, the plan to balance the budget or not balance the budget, then turned to criticizing the proposal to slightly cut the top line for the Department of Homeland Security. And yes, within that, uh, you can see that there's going to be a fight because within that, that calls for a cut to the U.S. Border Patrol. Um, It's not what Republicans want on that. But it's a tough position because Republicans are saying, you know, we want cuts uh, that are very significant. We want to balance the budget. And then there are some cuts here or there. And they decide that probably the biggest one on some border security stuff is something they actually don't want. We've got a bit of breaking news here uh, on the banking situation. Uh, before we get to that, Jack, is there as Chuck Schumer is now also uh, calling for more strict regulations, he says we need strong legislation on banking regs. We know that there's a bill uh, that Elizabeth Warren and Katie Porter are putting forth. Nobody actually sees a path for that to pass, right? Uh, you know, it's difficult to say now uh, because of uh, the facts of a divided government and obviously a, a Democratic Senate and a Republican House are going to approach this differently. We may have to see to what extent this turns into an issue that forces their hand. Uh, Congress can do things in a bipartisan way if there is a really serious crisis. Uh, I don't think we're at the point where there's a, a kumbaya moment and uh, all the divisions of Congress have fallen away. And that's a a fortunate thing because it takes more or less a disaster to get this kind of Congress to work together. Uh, So short of something that really shakes Washington out of its uh, usual way of of business, I I think it's safe to be skeptical about a major bill on this right now. Got it. Jack, thank you. Great work, Jack Fitzpatrick. Thanks for listening to the Sound On podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, Bloomberg.com. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.